We, uh, we're going to be looking at Acts 3 today. Um, I don't want to keep everybody here too long, so we'll jump right into our message. Um, if you have a Bible, I would love for you to open up or turn to um, Acts chapter 3. We've been studying through Acts the last couple of weeks. Um, I had a great um, idea for a Bible study through Acts a couple months ago. Uh, didn't realize it was going to kind of be affected by all of this, but I feel like the topics and the, the text has really been appropriate for this season that we found ourselves in. Um, I want to ask you, I want to kind of get us all on the same page this morning. Um, Have you ever had a time in your life when you walked into a room or into a situation or into a circumstance or into circumstances where things just lined up in a way, uh, whether you knew it in the moment or maybe it dawned on you in hindsight, um, you would just describe that situation as everything just came together perfectly for you. You know, like you couldn't have set the stage better for yourself, right? You couldn't have asked for a plan um, better, a more ideal, a greater opportunity. It was tailor-made just for you. Have you ever walked into a situation and thought, this was made for me? And maybe you look back and you can think about that meeting or that day where the stars lined up and everything just came together. And I'm sure all of us um, can think of a few moments and think of times in our lives where we just knew from that moment or it seems that from that moment on, things just came together in a way that specifically led to an opportunity, led to a relationship, led to a deal that maybe you were waiting for or maybe you didn't even know you wanted it so much. Maybe you've got some special memories of different events and situations that turned out to be pivotal circumstances for you. And maybe you sit back every once in a while and you think, I couldn't have scripted it better if I was given a blank slate and access to everything. I couldn't have created a better stage. And maybe a day or a moment that led you to a big break. And maybe that's how you met the love of your life. Maybe that's when things started clicking for you in a certain area. And, And I guess that for most of us, The amounts of times that we've walked in a room and thought, wow, this is perfect, is far less than the amounts of times that we've looked back on a setup and thought, that really came together, didn't it? You know, in high school and in college, I fell in love with history, and I I couldn't read enough American history, especially the turn of the 20th century era. I was just fascinated by the the, the time period, the the Gilded Age, on into the early 1900s, and and I really became um, kind of obsessed, if you would ask classmates of mine, with Teddy Roosevelt, uh, the president there in the early 1900s. Um, In a a college history class, I remember um, we spent a few days talking about this time period, and my teacher um, sort of underscored the importance of knowing this information information because he said it would be very unlikely it would appear on the exam and but you know me if you know me very well I can kind of get obsessed and kind of focus on things sometimes uh, that many people probably wouldn't focus on and uh, I dedicated way too much headspace to Teddy Roosevelt and the subject of American imperialism the trust busting things that he did and people laughed at me for being so obsessive about Teddy Roosevelt and said you know that's not going to do you any good in life you know and and, and I remember Sat down, take the exam that spring, and uh, all those years ago, I can remember just the feeling of elation when I opened up the blue book, and there, the first prompt of the essay section was write three pages on Teddy Roosevelt and his contributions to American history. And I'm thinking, you know what, I, you know, who's laughing now? I couldn't have written a better prompt for myself, right? Um, literally, if I would have been given a choice to free write, I would have written about this subject, and, and you know, that really did a lot for me in my life, but, uh, you know, but also, I'd be remiss if I didn't remind everybody that if not for my love for Star Wars since I was old enough to walk, I wouldn't have been able to convince Lindsay to go on a date with me, let alone marry me. So, you know, little did George Lucas know that he was doing all that for me, right? 
some things just work out, right? Um, but those situations are few and far between. Very rarely do we walk into a situation and think, wow, this was made for me. Most of the time, we look back on a moment that didn't even seem like it was a good moment, didn't even seem like anything spectacular would come from it. And in hindsight, we see the seeds of something great were there the whole time. And, and honestly, in most cases, we would have never scripted the beginning of our best experiences the way they actually started. And isn't it true that if we were given the opportunity to craft or set the stage for a perfect moment or opportunity to arise, we would probably never have set the stage the way that life set it for us, the way that God set it for us? See, if we were given the opportunity to set our own stages, we would write a fairy tale, wouldn't we? We would use the brightest of colors only. We would use straight and smooth lines to connect everything together. Our, our stage dressing would be so on the nose, so idyllic, yet... Our real-life experiences, the moments we look back on with perspective and wonder, they didn't start that way. Often the best possible endings come from what seem like the worst possible beginnings. Often the brightest resolutions come from what seem like the darkest of outsets. And do you think that's on purpose? Do you suppose it's just a coincidence or an accident? Or do you believe that there's a reason for that? Could there be a reason? And if there is... Could we save ourselves so much trouble? Could we save ourselves so much grief and anxiety if from the very beginning we held the conviction that even the very worst can produce the very best? What a difference our approach could be if to, to the most dire of situations if we held on to the possibility, the potential, and the reality even that dark clouds don't mean storms forever, that somewhere behind those clouds is the brightest of suns. And it may feel like we're the farthest from the center of the sun, but in fact, we are closer than we could ever imagine. If there's one thing I've learned from looking through the eyes of those who followed Jesus on earth, it's this very truth, it's this hope. The Gospels and Acts teach us how to see through the eyes of Jesus' original followers, how to follow in their steps. And if they learned one thing from Jesus, it was that you should never give up. No situation is irredeemable. Nothing or no one is set up to fail. Actually, our potential is always rising. When your flesh feels like quitting or blaming, God's Spirit is ready to inspire and ignite the flames of heaven in our souls. And nobody knew that better than Peter. Peter was Jesus' number one follower. He had seen everything from the front line. And over and over again, when his instinct said bail out, when his flesh said there's no hope, Jesus reminded Peter to look again. Of course, Peter didn't just think about giving up. You'll remember, he did give up. Not only did he give up, he denied he knew Jesus when he was given the most important opportunity to bear witness. He denied his relationship with Jesus three times. The night Jesus died, or the night before and the day leading up to Jesus' death, when he was arrested and put on trial, Peter considered the cost. He cut his losses. Peter's faith got weaker and weaker, and when given the opportunity Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. He ran away weeping and broken and bitter. And, and John, his best friend, stayed with Jesus' mother. He watched Friday unfold as Jesus died on the cross. The world around him engulfed in darkness. This was the end of everything they had pinned their hopes and dreams on. And after the cross, both of them got together and thought, hey, there's no use in holding on to this. Jesus is never coming back. 
But three days later, when Jesus did come back to life, he told them, Did y'all not pay attention to the things I always taught you? Y'all gave up because the lights went out. But the cross wasn't the end. It was the beginning. It was a new beginning. I told y'all, just because this world is broken and often sets unassuming, unappealing stages, it doesn't mean the worst is about to transpire. It could just mean the best is yet to come. No matter how things look, by faith, things can actually be far different. The initial appearance isn't indicative of the complete and the full experience. The book of Acts tells a story of the disciples facing their fears uh, in opposition, embracing every challenge by faith. They're filled with the Spirit of God in Acts 2, and they embark on an incredible journey to be witnesses for Jesus in the gospel. Against the backdrop of this fallen world, they spread a message of resurrection filled with heaven's fire. I don't think there's a chapter in the Bible, I don't think there's a story in the Bible that captures and portrays the gospel and the power of God quite like Acts chapter 3. And what I want us to do today is try to see through the eyes of Peter and John as they enter a scene they had been on before. Many had already saw what was on this stage and there seemed to be nothing good going on anywhere around it. Yet they approach this scene, they approach this stage, they step up onto this stage with the mind of Christ on a mission for God. Acts 3 sees Peter and John go up to what appeared to be a routine visit to the temple, a path they had taken many times a day for many years, but this was the first time they had gone since being filled with the Holy Spirit and being changed from the inside out, adopting a new lifestyle, walking by faith, not by sight, filled with heaven's power. They step onto the stage they'd underestimated and dismissed several times, and at last they see it for the potential God had given it. And what makes their faith so crucial is that someone else's fate depended on it. Now maybe you've read this story before, but hear from God's Word, Acts 3, verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask for alms from those who entered the temple, who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. And fixing their eyes on him, John, Peter, with with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received their strength. And so, leaping up, stood and walked, entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praised God and they knew that this this was the one who sat begging for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now verse 2 
gives us the assumption that the disciples had seen this movie before. They had walked by this man before. But the disciples had also been on stages like this before with Jesus. In Mark 2, they saw a disabled man being carried by four on a bed. And Jesus forgave him of his sins and healed him from his problem. In John 5, there was a man who had been invalid for 38 years. He lay begging at a festival scene. And Jesus asked him if he wanted to be healed and invited him to step out of line. And he was healed. John 9 tells a story about a man born blind who the religious scene pitied and made the subject of debates, wondering if his parents had done something so awful to deserve to have a son cursed with blindness. Jesus, of course, turned that story on its head and he healed that man, but I'm sure that his words from that day stuck with the disciples. Jesus told them when they asked him what his parents had done to deserve a a, a son blind, Jesus said it was not that his parents sinned or that he sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work for God. The night is coming when no one can work. And this is why as they made their way to the temple this day, passing by this man they had seen dozens if not hundreds of times, they paid closer attention realizing that his placement was not accidental. And while they had maybe had given up on, well, they may not have been able to give him what he was begging for, they at least knew they could give him something. You see, they had learned from Jesus to see every scenario in every season as setting the stage for God to work and make his glory known. For years, this man was carried daily to this place to be able to survive the conditions he was stuck with and pick up as many pocket changes as he could. He had no perspective. He had no concept of purpose. Of course, people would give him a sympathy offering, maybe enough for him to purchase medicine or scraps to eat, but no one truly paid any interest or attention. No one would ever stop and look him in the eyes and acknowledge, perhaps, that he needs something he didn't even know. So here goes Peter and John. Remember, this was their first trip down this road since they had taken on a new set of eyes which to see the world, they knew this Jesus, they knew this man would be there and he, we did, and they didn't know, um, we don't know if they prayed for this, we don't know if they were expecting for God to heal him, we just know that they were determined to face this pathway differently than they had before. They knew that this man had been, they dismissed him for years, this person they had walked over and passed by for years, but they knew what Jesus could do for people like him. More than heal them, they knew that Jesus could open open the eyes to a bigger world. He could give them what they didn't even know they needed. More importantly, he could take brokenness and replace it with wholeness. He filled that which was empty. He loved that which was lost. They knew that they had given up that they had been given a gift that could change lives. They wanted to share what they had been given, even if it was on a stage they'd expected little to nothing from. They knew that in a world dominated by sin and shame and sorrow, they had been given hope. So if if God truly sanctioned their mission, if Jesus was really with them, why not put him to a test? Why not put into practice what God had promised? What better way to kickstart the church and establish the church than to take the gospel to this man who the world had given up on, passed over and considered cursed? and demonstrate that just because the stage was dressed in darkness, just because the stage was set in an unimpressive and unspectacular fashion, just because this way seemed like a dead-end street, God was able to turn things around. God actually could have meant and intended and planned all along that this to be the stage on which His glory would be revealed to the whole world. 
Peter and John didn't know what God might do, but they trusted Jesus' words that this was for the glory of God so that Jesus could be glorified through it. They knew that the notion that all things could be redeemed, they all they knew that all things had a purpose and had potential for good. They knew that there was resurrection power for every grave. They knew that every tombstone could be transformed into a stepping stone. They knew if Jesus could be trusted, the only thing that stood in the way between his words and his work, his promises and his power, was their faith, their acts of faith, their faithfulness to his mission. Listen, church, this season has been a difficult one, and it's by no means over. The threat towards our older brothers and sisters and toward our weaker brothers and sisters may well continue for a while to come, but we stand on the edge of a return to normalcy. The stage that God has set for us is not one that we would have designed ourselves, but that tells me that that means there's even more potential, and it's all the more prime for God to work His glory on and through. The backdrop that has been cast over us the past two months is one that we would never ask for, nor would ever ask for again. The stage we've been stuck on is one of gloom and doom. We've been marred in a cycle that's been 100% discouraging and frustrating. We're tired of hearing about task force and updates and reports, hearing from about phases and timelines, but let us not grow weary in our expectations, in our anticipation, in our waiting for what God is able to do, what God wants to do, what God is about to do. Right now we look away, we want to look away from COVID-19 and all that goes along with it because we consider it a curse and a thorn. But maybe today we need to collectively look it in the eye and say, I don't know when you're going away and we don't know what the next action is going to be, whether by medicine, politicians or corporations. But we know that God's next move is going to be something great. He is going to raise us up and use us for his glory. We don't reject this stage. We don't decry this stage. We don't regret this stage. We praise God for it. We accept it and we step out onto it, not knowing what might happen next, just knowing this one thing, the best is yet to come. That God is going to use this as a stepping stone for us, a platform to launch us to a greater place than ever before. But we've got to rise up. We've got to be willing to take the proper steps. Take care of those who are weak. Look out for those who are vulnerable. Look forward to those who are in need. And look up to Him who is sovereign and supreme. And is able to do again what He's done before. Who knows who we might can reach out to and raise up. Who knows who might be weak that can be made strong. Who knows who might be down that is ready to leap up. Who knows who might not know God but could soon be praising God. Who knows, a world that doesn't normally recognize Him or respond to Him may be filled with wonder and amazement at what He has done and what He is doing. In Acts 3, the whole city pays attention to Peter and John after this miracle. The scripture goes on to say that Peter took center stage, a stage no one expected to hear from God on. He took center stage and he said, Do y'all think we did this? We didn't. God did this. This is not about this man being able to walk, but this is about God's ability to raise anybody up from anything. Peter goes on to say, it was in the name of the man that you killed that we raised this man up. 
He goes on in verses 13 and 14 and 15. He says, you denied the Holy One. You asked for a murderer in His exchange. You killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. And in His name, through faith in His name, has this man been made strong. Peter says, you turned against Him, but He turned towards you. Do you hear that? It was personal for Peter. He had the authority to speak on denying God because he too had denied God three times. He uses the phrase twice here and he says, yes, in times past, you ignored what God was doing. You denied what God was doing. But God is not denying you and he's not ignoring you. He's turning towards you. Peter says in verse 17, he says, Brethren, I know that you did this in ignorance as did your rulers You say, well, did they really do it in ignorance? Well, Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But listen to Peter's invitation in verse 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That phrase, be converted, could also be translated, run to, turn to, and flee to. In the Old Testament time period, there was an idea of sanctuary or cities of refuge. If you committed a crime without malicious intent, you could flee from your adversary to these cities of refuge. If you committed something awful, these cities would protect you because the high priest in that city personally prayed for you and stood up for you. And here's what Peter is telling us. They committed accidental murder against Jesus. They ignorantly overlooked what he was doing in their midst. And yet they were invited to flee to Jesus, their high priest. The one they sinned against was inviting them and was going to forgive them of their sins. Likewise, we have ignorantly and foolishly passed by so many opportunity he has given us, but his response to us is not anger or wrath, it's mercy and grace. We can flee to Jesus and he is the one who died but lives again. So in him our sins are forgiven and our lives are restored. And if we fall again, he's our high priest and he will forgive us and restore us. We don't got to wait for restoration, we can receive it immediately. And while we remain on earth, the journey may indeed be challenging. The steps we take may, the stages we take may be dimly lit. But we have to determine that we know who's designing and ordering our steps. So we aren't going to back down nor be dismayed. In closing, if you'll look at Acts 4, verses 1 through 3, this is the response from their boldness that day. As they spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Being greatly disturbed, they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. They were threatened, they were beaten, they were arrested, they were told to never speak in the name of Jesus again. But spoiler alert, that did not stop them. And you know why? Because of verse 4. Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. They saw what God was doing, and they knew what God was going to do, and they couldn't stop. They weren't afraid. They knew they were on the winning side. So as many times as they they were threatened and even persecuted, they reassembled with an even greater resolve because they knew that this was just a step in God's plan to save people like He had saved them. 
to give everyone the same forgiveness and grace they had received? Should they go back to the assembly after being beaten and told, never preach in the name of Jesus again, and they pray for boldness? They say, Lord, you see all the threats that have come up against us from our world. You see the kings that are against us, the pandemics that may come upon us. You see all these things that are against us, but we rest knowing that you are for us. So give us boldness. Stretch out your hand and use us in ways you have never done before. Help us not to avoid the stages that you have called us to step onto, even if they look like there's nothing good going to happen there. Let us trust that you can do great things on even the most unassuming of stages because you have a specialty of working light into darkness, bringing life back to where things are dead. I ask you all to pray and join me in prayer today, asking God to do this same sort of miracle in our midst. To work in our midst as he worked in their midst. Against the things that may oppose us. Against the things that we don't understand. On the stages that don't seem like anything great is going to come out of those. May we have the same boldness and resolve the disciples had. Knowing that we've got something the world needs. More than ever before the world needs to hear the good news of Jesus. And God who did it once can do it again. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you and we thank you that your plans are not like our plans. We thank you that you set stages just the way they need to be so that you can work your power the way we need to see and experience it. God, we don't know all the details about what we've been through or what we're going to go through, but we know that by your spirit and by your strength, we are able to do whatever you call us to do. Lord, help us to receive this invitation today, one that calls us to refuge and restoration. Thanks for inviting sinners like us into your plan. Thank you, Jesus. We run to you. We flee to you. May we sound your gospel so that this world may know that they too can find refuge in you today. Lord, we know that sometimes we step onto stages and we doubt much will come from them. But help us to understand that you are setting the stage for something great. And even though it may be dimly lit, And even though the props in the setting may look as if nothing good will ever come, help us to trust and by faith believe that the best is yet to come. Because you are always faithful and are always with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.